But let me pray over the tithe and offering before we get started. Father, we thank you so much for being able to give into your kingdom. We thank you, Father, for the luau that was such a success, such a joy to be able to do for the community, for the salvations that came out of that. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for being able to uh, begin to have a footprint in this community. Lord, we pray that every person in here will be able to have a, a great and powerful effectiveness in this community in Bridgeport, the surrounding areas. We thank you, Lord, for what you're already doing, and we thank you, Father, for the resources coming into this house to be able to do more, that you cause us to grow in leadership and administration as well as financially so that we are able to do more. We pray, Father, for disciples to, to expand and to multiply in this house in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we've been talking about the authority of the Word of God. So you guys, most of you have been here for that, right? The authority of the Word of God. We've been on that for probably uh, three to four weeks, maybe three weeks now. And, and we talked about how God's Word is ultimate authority. It does not, uh, nothing trumps the Word of God. The Word trumps everything. In fact, the only reason you're sitting here tonight is because the Word created you. The word created the universe. Everything that you see, everything that's in existence was created by the, by the very word of God. So even, even in our, um, when you think of anything in our life, sickness, disease, <laughs> that's nothing. God's word can crush that. He created you. He created the universe. Can he not destroy? God is a, an all-consuming fire. So he can destroy anything, uproot anything that he did not plant. So we're going to get into the word tonight because we've been talking about how to put our faith in the word, to trust in the word. But my question to you tonight is, are you wrestling or are you resting in the word? Are you wrestling or are you resting in the word? And let's get started. I want to start tonight in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 3. We'll start in Hebrews 3. Are you wrestling or resting in the word? I've got a lot of scripture. We'll see how much we get through tonight. But Hebrews 3. And just a little bit of, of uh, background of where, where we're picking up here. Um, Paul's writing Hebrews and he's, he's, or to the Hebrews, and he's talking a little bit about how he's referring back to when Moses and the Israelites were in the wilderness. And he's talking about how they rebelled. They didn't listen. Now, we read that sometimes, and we don't call it rebellion so much. We call it, oh, they were just, they didn't believe. They didn't believe in the promise that God had for them. They didn't believe in uh, the pro that they could make it into the promised land. They didn't believe they could defeat the giants. They didn't believe God was going to give them uh, supplies or make sure that they were safe or deliver them from every evil thing. They, you know, they had a hard time believing. They many times would murmur and complain about Moses and and you know this guy that's leading us out here just to die. And they would begin to speak out things that were. Uh, complaints, murmuring. And many times we can look at that and be so lighthearted with that. And I was uh, talking to uh, Melanie and my mom yesterday, and I was saying, you know, this passage right here is so powerful 
Because what God calls it, he calls unbelief sin. And he, he talks about how it's rebellion and wickedness. And I want to start there tonight, and it will get happier, okay? So I just, <laughs> I just want to start there for a second because I think we need a reality check sometimes of how God looks at unbelief and instead of uh, the way we look at unbelief. So in Hebrews 3, I want to uh, start at verse 7. And it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And it, you see there, God refers to it as a hardening of a heart in the rebellion during a trial. And, you know, we can go through trials sometimes and be like, well, you know, I just, it's just tough. And, and we're proclaiming all of these things out of our mouth that don't line up with the word of God. And we make all these excuses. And I think we have to, as a Christian people, we have to get to a place where we like are looking at this, okay, is, it what com- is what is coming out of my mouth, is it belief or unbelief? Is it contradictory to the word of God or does it line up with the word of God? And how does God see that? Because I've got to be in a place where God is pleased with my words and pleased with what's coming out of me because it says they shall not enter my rest. The, those people that, that could not enter into the promised land and receive their promise was because of unbelief. Not because they stood there and said, God, we're not going to follow you anymore. We're not going to believe you anymore. We're not going to do what you say. They weren't like outright rebellion in their words. It was unbelief. And it says their hearts were turned astray. Verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's how God looks at it. An evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Go down to chapter 4 for a second, verse 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard, they, sorry, which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And we see here 
They never entered. Those, those that did not believe that they could enter into the promise never did enter into the rest. They never entered into the rest. But he says if we believe, if we mix the word that we hear with faith and we believe, then we can enter into the rest. We can enter into the rest of the promise. And that's where I want to go tonight. Are we wrestling with the word or are we resting in the word? Because if we're not resting, because here's the thing, even being a Christian for many, many years, we can, we can sometimes find ourselves trying to work the word so hard that it's, you know, we're like quoting it, quoting it, speaking it out, but it's almost like we're not resting in it at times. Where we find ourselves working in exertion, but we're not resting. And as a result, it's, we find ourselves stressed over the situation instead of resting in belief. And God wants us to rest in his promises. Because if you truly believe that somebody's going to do something, you're not going to be stressed about it. You take them at their word, right? If you think of somebody that, that has never let you down, they've always done what they're going to say they're going to do. They always show up whenever they say they're going to show up. They, they bring something when they say they're going to bring it. They tell you, I'm going to be there at a certain time. I'm there. And when they tell you the next day, I'll be there at 9 o'clock, then you don't, you don't sweat it. You're not concerned because they have shown themselves faithful in that. So you're not sitting there going, oh, you know, because I, I know some people, I've, I've got family members that, that if you say we're going to leave at one, you might as well go ahead and figure two because they're not showing up until two. <laughs> and so some people just are like that and they haven't figured out, you know, how the time thing works, that they need, you know, that extra half hour to get there or whatever. But there are some that they're, they're faithful and what they say, so you don't sweat it. You don't get worked up about it. And so it's the same thing with God. If you believe what he says, then there's not a stress about it. It's a resting. You are resting in the faith. You're resting in what he says. And I love that, that verse that says that we have to mix it with faith. We take the word and we mix it with faith. And faith is the belief. It's the belief. It's the believing in your heart. In fact, in Romans, when it talks about, you got Christmas music, Michael? When you hear the word of God and, and you believe in your heart, just like Romans says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, well, that's the beginning of faith, right? That's the beginning of, of your walk. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Well, that's with everything. That's just the beginning. But the rest of your walk with God is believing in your heart what he says and confessing with your mouth and walking it out. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Now, does he say if you believe in your head? No. And that's the big thing because many times we're trying to believe in our head. We're trying to figure it out in our head. We're trying to figure out, well, how's this going to happen? We're trying to figure out, well, God, how, how's this going to be possible? Because I don't, have, I don't have the resources to do that. God, I don't have what it takes to be that. I don't have, you know, all the requirements. I don't have, you know, the, the X, Y, Z. So how is this going to happen, God? And we're trying to do his job. Because 
He didn't say for you to figure it out, believe and, and you figure it out. And then whenever you get up and you figure out a really good plan, you let me know and then we'll carry it out. He never said that. He said, if you believe, if you believe, and then you confess. See, the confession is how salvation is made. Confession is made unto salvation. Confession is, is you know, it's kind of like whatever you truly believe, you're going to confess out of your mouth, right? Because you can sit there and say, well, I'm healed. I believe I'm healed. I believe by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm healed. I believe, you know, this is going to happen. I believe, I believe. And then you walk away from that and, and completely say the opposite. Because you're in this moment of exerting and trying to work it up, work it up, work it up. And then you walk away from it saying something completely different. Well, I'm probably going to end up getting worse before I get better. I'm probably going to not get that job. You know, there's better people qualified for that job that applied. I'm probably not going to. And we start throwing all this other stuff out and not applying the word of God to our situation and to our life. So that, that's where we have to begin to believe in our heart and then let it, let it settle with that. In fact, um, Jesse, can you do me a favor? Why don't you go in, um, why don't you just turn that off completely? Like flip the little button on the side and it'll, it'll shut off the, the sound completely. Can you go in, inside the, the door right there and on the right there is a mirror. Can you bring that mirror out please? And while he's doing that, I want you to go ahead and turn over to James. Yeah, can you bring it up here? And can you just stand there and hold it for me? Because, <laughs> because, because I don't have anywhere to lean it. it. I don't know if it'll. Yeah, you can. That would work. James 1. Verse 21. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now I want to stop there for a second. Receive the implanted word. Why is it called implanted? It's the same word that they use as for grafted, the engrafted word, the how we're grafted into the vine. And, and it's the implanted word. Why is that? Because when we're born and we face situations and there's things going on around us and we hear, you know, what our parents dealt with and the things that they get handed down and what the world says and all kinds of, of, of wrong thinking, that's what gets planted in our mind. So we have to uproot anything that's not truth and implant the word of God, which is truth. So he's saying you're going to have the word, the truth spoken to you. The word of God is going to be implanted in you, which can what? Save your souls. Now understand this word souls is your, like Pastor Brad said this morning, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit is already born again. When you receive Jesus Christ, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. You are now connected with the Holy Spirit. Your spirit has been reborn. You are now spiritually uh, awake to the things of God. 
and your spirit is already uh, going through uh, the rebirthing, but your mind has to be renewed. So you're, there, it's the renewing of your mind. So you're taking in the implanted word of God, which can what? Save your souls. Because our souls still need saved by the renewing of our mind. So our whole life, we're renewing ourselves, renewing ourselves. Because we learn here and then we go out into the world and we face things every single day which will challenge the way we think. And so we've always got to sharpen ourselves in the things of God. So he says, receive with humbleness or meekness the word of God, which can save your soul. And then it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because we can, here's, here's where some, some people miss it. Well, I go to church. I go to church. And they hear the word. I go to church. I'm good. You know, and they check their time off. But they don't actually apply the word of God and don't become a doer of the word. And it says they deceive themselves because they think they're okay, but they're not applying anything. They're not changing anything. They're not letting the word transform them. And so he says a person can be deceived because they put themselves in a place of hearing the word of God, but never doing the word of God. So we got to make sure Paul, um, James says you got to make sure that you're doing the word of God, not just hearing the word of God. And it says, for anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, I love that, the perfect law of freedom, because it's the word that sets us free. The law of liberty, the law that actually breaks us out of the bondages of what's been passed down to us. The bondage of wrong thinking, the things that, that keep us in a position of unbelief or a position of not understanding uh, how the word or how God's principles flow. And as soon as we get truth, well, the truth sets us free. And he says, so the person that's looking into the law of liberty and continues in it, because it's not just enough just to do it a couple times, he says, you got to continue. You got to continue. You got to continue, continue, continue all the time, every day. You continue in it. And it's not a forgetful hearer, but as a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious does, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Again, that goes back to a, a person that is hearing and then lets the, the mouth run off in a completely different direction, and they're not bridling their tongue, and their religion is useless. We can be in a place where our religion is useless, our traditions, our, our coming into church, our raising our hands, all of these things can be useless if we're not applying the faith, if we're not believing in the word, if we're not doing the word. So I wanted to bring this example in because James likens this to a mirror. The word of God, and we're going to pretend this is, this is the word of God. 
okay? The mirror is like the word of God. And he says, whenever you come to the word of God and you look in it and you, you see what it says about you, it's supposed to transform you and it's supposed to show you what you're believing about yourself, about who your God is, about what he says he's going to do in your life. It tells you who you are and your relationship with him. It tells you that he will never leave you, that he'll never forsake you, even though you may feel alone. So you go to that word and you go, you look in the mirror and you read and you says, and it says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And then here's the difference. If I walk away and say, nobody ever understands me. Nobody, nobody's ever with me. I'm by myself. I'm so alone. Then I forgot what the word said. And I looked in the mirror and I turned around and proclaimed something else. So I've got to go back to the mirror of the word. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. It doesn't matter how I feel. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Yeah, my feelings feel like this right now, but he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am not alone. In fact, I think even Brother Don posted something uh, earlier today on social media, something about speaking uh, to yourself, and then, and then your carnal man lines up. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it's like you're, you're, you're prophesying to yourself until your emotions line up with what it is that you're saying in the spirit. But if I come and I look at this, let's say, let's say I'm, I'm facing a, a health issue and there's something going on in my life. Are the symptoms there? Yeah, the symptoms are there. I've got, you know, whatever pain, I've got something that's existing, it, it, it shows, and then I go and I look in the word of God. And in Psalms 91.9, it says, because I have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even my, the most high, my habitation, there shall no evil befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. So I read that. Now I've got to believe it. I've got to receive it into my spirit. See, it's not about receiving it in your head. Because again, that's where we, we get it mixed up, trying to figure out, yeah, but am I righteous enough? You'll never be righteous enough. It's not in your righteousness. It's in the righteousness of Christ, which he already purchased and has called you the righteousness of God. Where did that come from? The word of God. So once you receive that, then you're already in a standing, like what? The, the rock instead of the shifting sand. Because if I'm standing on shifting sand, then it's always going to be coming out from underneath me. Every situation that comes, every storm that comes, it's going to be shifting me. I'm going to get unbalanced. I'll topple and fall because I'm not standing on the word of God. But if I stand on the rock of Jesus Christ, the rock of the word, then I'm solid. And it doesn't matter what storm comes around. It's not going to fall because I'm standing on his word which is ever true. No matter what it looks like, the storm is raging, the lightning's flashing, the rain is pounding. But the word of God says, the word of God says, the word of God says that no evil shall befall me, that no plague will come nigh my dwelling. And so you put your faith and your trust in the word, not because you've figured it out in your head, 
Not because we know how that's going to happen, but because it's what the word says. It's what the word says. And we receive it. You receive it in your spirit. And I think many times we're trying to, to I think sometimes we can, memorizing the word is, is great. It is great. But sometimes I think we can get so caught up in trying to memorize in our head that we never receive it in our spirit. It never makes a reality or a revelation in our spirit. Which one's more important? That I can quote it exactly or that I have a revelation of what I have? Exactly, because once you have the revelation, you have the truth. Once you have the truth, it sets you free. When you are set free, you don't worry about something that comes your way because you're already convinced of the truth. So now, even when something tries to come against you, if, oh, I can't, I can't quote it exactly. Well, now the enemy just came in. You see what I'm saying? He tried to steal your freedom. He tried to steal what was yours. Well, I can't quote it exactly. No, you know. You, you have the revelation in your spirit that this is yours. I'm not saying it, it's, it's bad to, to go back and look. Yes, go back and look. Refresh it. Get it in your spirit even stronger. But what I am trying to get across is receive it in your spirit. Know in your spirit what God has done for you. If I'm dealing with fear, let's say I'm, I'm dealing with a, a situation where I'm not going to be successful. I'm not even going to apply for the job because I'm afraid. I'm not even going to step out and do that because I'm afraid. Well, Philippians for it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength or that strengthens me. If I walk away from that and I go, yeah, but I'm not going to apply for that. But I just read that morning, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. And yes, that's so good, Lord. Okay, I'm going to memorize it. Uh, what's the first word again? <laughs> but if I let it hit my spirit, he will never... Let me fall. He will uphold me in his righteous right hand. He's going to uphold me. He's not going to let me fall. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. Do not, do not run. Do not cower in fear. I refuse to cower in fear. I refuse to allow this thing to beat me down. I refuse to allow this thing to, to tell me what my destiny is and tell me what position I'm going to be in. I refuse to allow someone else to tell me where I'm going to stand because the word of God says, do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. So I've got to go back to what it says. And then I go walk my life out, but I've got to remember what the word called me. And I can't walk away from it saying, yeah, but, you know, this is a great scripture. No, I've got the scripture. I, I know the scripture. And then I live my life without the scripture. You see the difference? 
allowing it to get in your spirit, allowing it to transform you, to change you. Now, I want to get into something else, too. Go to uh, Romans chapter 4. Because we see an example here of Abraham. Romans chapter 4. Let's, let's read verse 2 through 5. It says, For if Abraham was justified by works, that means the things that he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Now, I want to stop here for a second. For the one who works, the wages are not counted, but it's an obligation. It's not counted as righteousness. It's an obligation. If you work, if you go to work tomorrow, then your employer has to pay you because it's an obligation. You put time in for him. He has to pay you. And God doesn't base his system of faith on works. He bases his system of faith on belief, not on works. Because he says, listen, Abraham believed God and it was accounted or credited to him as righteousness. Now to him... Who works, the wages are not counted as grace or favor or as a gift, but instead as a debt or as an obligation or what is owed to the person. So if you're working it, if you're, in, you're, if you're sweating out the word, working it, then you're in a place of obligation. This is what's due to me. This is what's owed to me. But God doesn't work that way because we in, our, in, our, in and of ourselves are never righteous and are never in a good enough standing to earn that in and of ourselves. So it has to be through the righteousness of Christ. There's no way we can receive that on our own. So it has to be done by faith. It has to be done through faith by grace. Well, how's that done? By believing. Just believe. Just believe. And then it says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. For those that do not work. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean that we never work things. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But when it comes to faith and believing It's kind of like if I believe that that chair is there, if I believe it's there, I'm not going to have a problem turning around and sitting down in it. I'm not going to go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is it there? I'm afraid I'm going to fall. If I know that it's there, I'm not going to have a problem sitting. 
uh, I'll turn around and sit down without looking behind me because I have the faith that it's there. It's there. I'm not going to have to work it up. Faith, out of faith comes an automatic reaction to respond to what you believe. You see what I'm saying? So if we allow the word to get in our spirit, we will automatically begin to respond by what we believe. That's why this part is so important. Because if I read this and I don't let it penetrate into my spirit, then I turn around and I do everything the exact opposite is what it said. So if I read it, and I say, this is who I am. This is who God is in me. This is what he says I am. This is what he says I can have. And then I turn around and I continue to walk that out. This is who I am. This is what it says I can have. This is what it says I can do. Then my actions are going to follow suit. But if I read it and it doesn't penetrate and I don't believe it, then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to respond how I really believe. I will talk the way I really believe, which is unbelief, which is belief in the fear part, belief in the opposite. You see? We'll believe or we'll act out whatever we believe. It's just that we want to believe in what God says that we can have. Now skip down to, is this making sense to you guys? Okay. Go down to verse 13, same chapter. It says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise was not through the law. Abraham didn't receive the promise through the law. He received it through faith. Through believing. Now, I want you to understand that because of the next verse. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is of no effect. Let me read it again. For if those who are of the law are heirs, which that's not what he's saying is so. He's, he's using kind of a, the opposite statement here. If it's, if it's of the law that we're made righteous, if it's of the law that we receive promise, faith is made void and the promise is, is made of no effect. So if we're operating in a work system, then faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. You see what I'm saying? So if we're in a work system, I gotta work this, I gotta work this, I gotta work this, and I'm not just believing in my spirit, then the promise is made of no effect. Faith is void. There is no faith because I'm basing it on works. I'm now basing it on if I do this enough, if I do that enough, did I do this enough that God is happy with me? Did I do this enough? Did I go to church enough? Did I pray enough today? Did I do this? Did I do that? Did I memorize enough? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I do enough good? Did I give enough in the offering? Based on works. And faith is void, and the promise is of no effect. But Abraham, which is the example we're to follow, skip down to 16. It says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, which is us, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those 
who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. That was the promise. In the presence of him whom he believed. God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's the example we're to follow. To call those things which are not as though they are. We're to, but that makes me feel weird. I'm, I'm supposed to call out that I'm going to have a home when I don't have a home? I'm supposed to call out that I'm whole when I can feel this symptom? I'm supposed to say I'm healed when I'm hurting? Yeah. Because if you believe that your healing is there and your healing has already been purchased and your healing is for you for free and not by works, then you're going to receive that. Not work it, receive it. And so you call those things that are not as though they were. It's exactly what Abraham did. It's what God did. And it, then it says, who contrary, talking about Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So Abraham, contrary to hope, Contrary to hope, he had no reason to hope. No reason. Why? Because it says, and did not become weak in the faith. He did not consider his own body. He did not think of his own body almost or already dead because he was seed wise. Being able to produce wise, he was already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So they're both unable to produce in their physical bodies. But it says that he did not consider his own body. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Hallelujah. But it says beyond all hope. What does that mean? Contrary to all hope. That means there was nothing working in his favor. Think of your situation today. You may have nothing working in your favor. Nothing. It may look impossible. For Abraham, there was nothing working in his favor. There was nothing that he could, like, hang his hope on. Well, you know, I, I, I could have... Uh, something working there on the inside. And Sarah might still have some. He had nothing to bank anything off of. But it says he did not consider his own body. That means his thought process was not based upon his body and whether his body could do the job or not. His thought process was not on whether or not Sarah could carry or whether or not Sarah could hold the seed. The thought process was what? He believed that he was faithful to do as he promised. Who? God. Because if you look at the verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. He who? God. It's capitalized. Being fully convinced, fully persuaded. I'm fully convinced 
not that I can produce, not that Sarah is going to produce, but that he who promised the word is fully able to perform what he promised he said he would do. So where is my sight? Where is my focus? On him, the one that made the promise, not on my situation, not, not on uh, my manager, not on the person I'm working for, not on my job, not on my landlord, not on my financial status, not on my educational status, not on my ability, but on God, on he, the one that made the promise, is fully able to perform the promise. So our eyes have to be in the right place. And it says he did not waver. Not being weak in the faith, he strengthened himself in faith. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, how did he strengthen himself in the faith? Because he didn't have the word of God at that time. It wasn't like he could, you know, Google faith scriptures. Faith scriptures, let me see. What do we have here? He didn't have that. So what did he have? God had given him a promise and said that this is how your descendants will be. How will your descendants be? Look at the stars and look at the sand. You see the stars, you see the sand, that's how your descendants are going to be. He gave him something to set before him all the time, a vision, something as, as he's walking along. And anytime he doubted, boom, as the stars, as the sand, nighttime, daytime, nighttime, daytime, constant constant that was his that was his anchor the word that God gave him constant whether it was night and the enemy slips in or whether it was the day and the enemy caused him to doubt he had something to set his eyes on we have the word of God today but he was giving him a visual and he did not waver what does that word waver mean he did not stumble he was not like a drunk man is what it's like. He did not stumble. A drunk man stumbles. They're back and forth. They're leaning this way, and then they're going this way. They're all over the place. He says he did not stumble. What does that mean? He walked a straight line. He kept his focus. He was not going to go, well, maybe it's going to, well, no, I believe today. Today I'm feeling good. Today I feel, you know, pretty joyful. I feel strong. I'm feeling my emotions are like high today. I believe in the word of God. And then tomorrow it's like, Man, it's raining out. It's gloomy. I just don't, I'm not feeling it today. Man, today is just kind of a depressing day. I think I'm just going to stay in bed. Sarah, just, you know, keep the flap on the tent. Make sure there's no leaks. I'm going back to bed because it's a depressing day today. I don't know about that promise God gave me. He said he did not waver, but he strengthened himself in faith, which means there was a strengthening that happened. So he allowed the faith to be strengthened over time as he looked at the stars and he looked at the sand. One last verse. Can I give you one more verse? Uh, Mark. Turn to Mark. Mark 5. Verse 21. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over 
again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now skip down, because there's the woman with the issue of blood that kind of intervened there for a little bit of time. Um, so skip down to 35. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now listen, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe. Now, it's interesting because, you know, he, he's, he's getting intercepted. I'm imagining that, that Jairus is going, come on, Jesus, can you hurry up and deal with this woman, you know, because my daughter's dying. We need to get to my house. And so he's dealing with the, the lady with the issue of blood and, and, and finalizing all of that, and then someone comes and says, your daughter's already dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. And, you know, your normal reaction is all of a sudden, you know, your stomach just drops. But he refocused him. It says, as soon as he heard the word that was spoken, he turned to Jairus and said, do not be afraid, only believe. It was like he was teaching him. He intercepted that thought from the enemy. Nope, focus, Jairus, focus. Get your eyes back on the right place. Get your eyes back on the power of God. Get your eyes back into faith because all is not lost. Just because it looks gloomier than what it did five minutes ago doesn't mean that I don't have the power to do that. Jairus, focus. Keep your eyes set. Keep your eyes set. In fact, one of our prayer points this morning came out of Isaiah 26. And it says that he will keep him in perfect peace, those whose mind is stayed on God because he trusts in him. And many times, you know, people want prayer for peace or people want prayer for, well, I just, I just want peace. I just want peace. Can you pray for peace? And a lot of times, most of the time, unless it's a tormenting spirit that needs cast out, but most of the time, I'll let them know, I can't pray that for you because your, your issue is a word issue. Because this is this, until you get this in you, you're, you're going to be tossed to and fro. Because you're not going to be on solid rock. You're going to be on shifting sand. I can't give you an easy remedy for peace. I can't give you a peace pill. Because your mind has got to be stayed on him. So your, your remedy is the word of God. Your remedy is the power of God. Your remedy is believing in him and what he says. And in fact... I looked that up in the Amplified, and it says, you will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind or imagination or purpose is steadfast, committed, and focused on you. Now, think about that. Whose mind or imagination, because the enemy could come in with all sorts of imagination stuff. 
he'll come in and, and, and your imagination can go crazy with all kinds of fear thoughts. And I remember even when, when we lived in Hana, there were times, Brad had to go out every single week, which is a two-hour drive one way into Kahului for staff meetings. He would get up early in the morning, go out, have staff meetings, and a lot of times he would get uh, errands run and things like that during that day and come back in. Many times he would be traveling by himself at night. There's no reception on that road for an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. You're, you're on coast side, cliff side most of the way. There's crazy things that happen. There are people that, that have dumped bodies off the coast. I mean, it's, there's no way to get a hold of anybody. And so anytime he was coming, at, sometimes it'd be 11 o'clock at night. And you can't call and say, well, where are you at? Are you close? Are you, you, know, you can't. There's no way to reach. And there would be times where I would have to make sure my mind was stayed on the word. Because sometimes it was torrential downpours. Sometimes you didn't know what, what was going on because there were times where he had to turn around completely and go all the way around, which is a three to four hour drive because of a landslide, because of a rock, because of something that the tree fallen. And I would refuse to fear. I would refuse to allow the enemy to take my imagination places. I would refuse it. I would absolutely not. And so I would settle myself in the word of God. And I would just continue. I would pray and I would continue to go about whatever me and the kids were doing. But I refused to allow the enemy to have a heyday with my mind and allow fear to come in. But that's what we've got to do. He will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind, whose imagination, whose thoughts, whose purpose is stayed or committed to him, who's steadfast, committed to him. Because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. That's a good verse. Hallelujah. Why don't we go ahead and stand? So in closing, Jesus says only believe. Only believe. He doesn't say figure it out. He doesn't say do 25 things and then get back with me once you've done A through Z. Fill out the checklist. Bring it back. I'll, I'll do a report card. See how well you, He doesn't say any of that. Only believe. Only believe. He would say that various times in the word, only believe. Only believe. If you say to the mountain, and you do not doubt in your heart, do not doubt in your heart. He didn't say don't doubt in your head, in your mind, because thoughts can come. But you've got to take those thoughts captive. Do not doubt in your heart. See, your heart and your mind are different. Leo, can you go ahead and come to the keyboard, please? Think about this for a second. Your head, your soul, your soulish realm, your mind, your will, your emotions. See, your emotions can, can be out of whack. Your emotions can go crazy. Your emotions can be up and down depending on chemical fluctuations in your body. Your feelings can be in different places. But he doesn't say, don't doubt in your head. He says, don't doubt in your heart. Because it's with the heart 
that we believe. That's why he doesn't say, whenever you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he doesn't say, if you believe in your head, and in your head you have it all figured out what happened and how Jesus came to earth, and once you get it all logically figured out, then you can receive me. Because that's impossible. It's impossible for the soul to understand the supernatural. So your soul is not a, a, a supernatural conduit. <laughs> Your spirit is. So when you receive with your spirit, God gave you the soul to communicate what your body's to do. Your soul is an, a good instrument or tool to carry out what needs to be carried out. It's a bridge between the spirit realm and the carnal realm, the physical realm. Because without it, you wouldn't be able to have that connect. Because you would have your flesh over here you would have your spirit man here, and the two cannot be connected. They're so far apart from each other. So your soul is the thing that's, that becomes the battleground. Because you receive with your spirit, but then your soul sitting there trying to figure out all of the how and why and when and why did they say that to me and how come they're treating me this way and I don't understand, but the word of God says this and he says to forgive my enemies and to pray for my enemies and I don't understand. This is so hard. They did this and they did that. And I'm supposed to love them? I'm supposed to pray for them? I'm supposed to let the Lord deal with them? But I want to deal with them, Lord. I want to tell them. <laughs> so your soul has to calm down and let your spirit lead. And then, and, and like I said, your soul makes a a very good instrument to carry certain things out. God doesn't say, like, check your brain and don't, don't use it. That's not what he's saying. Because there are things definitely that we need our mind to use to process. But when it comes to spiritual things, we've got to be led by the Spirit. When it comes to the Word of God, we've got to receive into our spirit. So it says, believe in your heart. Do not doubt in your heart. So don't let the enemy convince you that just because a thought came in, well, I'm not believing. You come back to your spirit. And you say, no. My job is to believe. Not to figure it out. My job is to believe. My job is to believe. That's what Jesus said. My job is to believe. Don't get caught up in Jesus' job. Jesus does the impossible. God does the impossible. We just have to believe. Amen? You know, it's interesting because even, even this example, I was thinking this morning, you know, God said, let us make man in our image. And he says, our image, right? In our image. Because Jesus was present in the beginning. He was the Word. And that's why he's saying you got to look at the Word because we're to be made in the image of God. So every time we do this, every time we read, we're being made in the image of God. We're renewing our mind to the image of the Word. And we're becoming more like Him. And we're becoming, uh, we're walking out faith and believing in faith. 
not trying to figure it all out. Believing in faith. So many times the Word of God says that it was through faith by grace. Through faith by grace. And faith is just a matter of believing and not doubting. Amen. Before we close tonight, I want to open up the altars. If anybody wants prayer for anything, if there's been anything that, that you've been battling or dealing with, but tonight the, the word moved you into a place of, I believe. I'm, I'm no longer sitting there trying to figure this out, but I believe. So thankful for the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you this week. Even in the mornings, talk to the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of God Almighty, and He dwells on the inside of you. That is so precious. You are the temple, the housing place of the Holy Spirit. So as, as you even awaken, talk to the Holy Spirit. There are times when I just speak to the Holy Spirit. You know, many times people only speak to God the Father. But speak to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me things today. Lead me today. Thank you that you're my teacher. Thank you that you bring me into places of revelation and wisdom. Strengthen me today by the power of the Holy Spirit. By your power. Just invite the Holy Spirit to speak with you, to show you new things and great things, mighty things that you do not know this week. Father, I thank you for your children here tonight. I thank you for your word that is so precious to us. I pray that even as, as we're reading this week, that your word comes alive. Lord, that people receive like never before, that, that the very word of God is received in our spirits, that faith increases, that we're not wrestling, Father, but we're resting in the word, that we find a place of resting in true belief in what your word says about us, about what we can do, about who we are, and about who you are in us, through us, speaking to us. We thank you for your love towards us, your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray this week as people are going about their jobs, Lord, I pray that you open spiritual eyes this week to new things, that there's new revelations this week. There's mighty things that you speak to each one of us. I pray favor upon your children. I pray, Father, for special surprises that knock on their door this week, that make them laugh and bring a joy to their heart. Things that, that they've been desiring. Father, that you know of, just even the smallest things that make them smile because you knew what they needed and wanted. We pray that you speak to people's hearts to bring these things come to pass. Use ravens if you have to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys, and we'll see you on Wednesday.